0: Okay. Well, let's turn to Revelation now. Revelation chapter five, because we are going to deal with those very same topics as we move on into this particular study. Tonight we are going to finish chapter five. Yay, praise the Lord. We're finally finally going to get through this particular chapter. And, uh, here's my clicker. Just <laughs> overall, This particular book, the book of Revelation, of course, is the prophetic book of the New Testament. And we laid what I would hope is a good foundation to understanding uh, the implications that we're learning from this particular book. Especially the fact that it tells us of what has happened. What happened at the time of John's uh, vision, and what is going to happen. What has happened, what is happening, and what is going to happen. We are closer now to what is going to happen than ever before. So we have to stay quite awake and aware. What was happening at the time of John, of course, was the churches, and therefore chapters 2 and 3 was all about uh the present-day church and all of the characteristics, good and bad, that we find in the church. That's chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4, John is taken up into heaven. And we've been in heaven for a little while with John. And we've kind of grown to see, you know, the uh, the importance of what is taking place in heaven before the judgment comes. And the best way to explain it is that there is going to be worship before judgment. Now, if we are a part of the church or a part of the body of Christ, then we need to be very active in the worship part of that even now. Because when that time comes, when the church is taken out of the way, as as all of these implied statements have been given at the beginning of chapter 4, a couple in, in, in the in the letters to the churches and all along the way then that's when the great tribulation will begin that's where we will be next next week next time so as we're ending this particular (coughs) section which is chapters 4 and 5 dealing with what is taking place in heaven? The vision that that John is given, carried up into heaven, as as the church will be carried up into heaven, and they're seeing the twenty four elders, uh, which are made up of of uh, the the the, uh, the twelve patriarchs as well as the twelve uh, apostles, representing all of the redeemed before and after the cross. That means the church is going to be there before all hell breaks loose, because that's pretty much what judgment is going to be in chapter 6 through 19. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, we want, we want to come to the close of this particular section and we've already co- found ourselves all the way up to verse 8. So let's start by reading in verse 8 of chapter 5. Now, when he had taken the scroll, this is of course Jesus. Remember the lion that is being described to him, to John, because John was crying. He was weeping because there was God on the throne with a scroll in his right hand. But there was no one worthy to take it out of his hand. But there really was. And he was told, told by one of the elders, he says, he says, listen, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's worthy. So now... When John turns around, he sees not a lion, but he sees a lamb. But it's the lion. And it's the lamb. Because it's Jesus. And, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but, but when he had taken the scroll, when Jesus took the, stroll, the scroll, in this vision that John has, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, Now, see, this is where everybody gets this picture that when we get to heaven, we all get harps. So start practicing. Okay, each having a harp and and golden bowls full of incense. you're going to be really telling it because you're going to have a harp and a bowl of incense. And you're still going to play the harp somehow and have the incense. This this is wonderful because you'll have more abilities in heaven, right? All right. So each was having a a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So that defines what that bowl of incense is. We'll talk about that along the way. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Remember who's singing this song. Those who alone can say they have a Redeemer. So, the 24 elders and the creatures are the ones singing, You are worthy. And then in verse 10 it says, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, the one question asked in heaven, the one question asked in heaven that prompted a response. That brought the Apostle John to tears. And by the way, when it talks about tears, I mean it talks about tears upon tears. Weeping upon weeping. It was, uh, there was a lot of weeping in John. The question was, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals? Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals? Having realized the unworthiness of all others, John was about to realize the worthiness of Christ to meet this situation as he meets all the others. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know without any doubt the only true person worthy of any honor, glory, or praise is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. But it's focusing our attention upon His worthiness. Why is He worthy? Why is everyone else not worthy? You think, think about this. When, when you listen to people on TV that, that kind of tell you that, you know, listen, God made you little God. No, He didn't. He didn't. That's a misinterpretation of Scripture. There's one God and we're not Him. No creature can claim to be God or else if you do that then now you're a false God. There's only one God. So that it is the worthiness of this one That really is, is, is mattering now to John and his eyes are being opened to all of this. And as the Apostle is introduced to the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David is the only one who can meet the criteria for taking and opening the scroll. We've been given a front row seat ourselves. If you've been opening your Bible and reading it, we've been given that front row seat to this vision of Jesus in preparation of judgment. In preparation of judgment. Remember last time that we we, we mentioned a, a verse of scripture that talks about the wrath of the lamb? It didn't say wrath of the lion. It says the wrath of the lamb. If there's wrath in the lamb, how much greater is the wrath of the lion? And it's the same person. It's Jesus. But we'll talk about that later because of the characteristic of of that statement. But we'll get to that when we do. In verse 6, we are given a deeply symbolic illustration. And that's in our text. So go back to verse 6 for just a moment. We're given a deeply symbolic illustration of the Lamb that John is looking upon. And this is what we need to understand about the Lamb. It is an image that conveys tremendous spiritual truth. We didn't touch upon it earlier, so we're going to touch upon it now. It says in verse 6, it says, and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now you do need to understand, underline that particular phrase in your Bibles, as though it had been slain. That is key verse. I didn't underline it here because I wanted you to see the other characteristics of this lamb in the vision. But you do need to underline the fact that the Lamb stood as though it had been slain. Which means that whatever it was on that Lamb were the markings of His death. That's to remind us that the Lamb of God took the sins of the world upon Himself. You got that? Okay, that's really important to know. That's really important to know. Having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, if we just kind of try to draw a picture of that, and I'm not going to show you one because there's there's all kinds of artists' conceptions of that. I don't want to do that because it's kind of a grotesque vision. I mean, look at the eyes and the horns, you know. Sometimes these artists, boy, they really get creative, you know, and they put all kinds of stuff on those those visions, you know. I, I don't want you to see that. There's a reason why we're given that that particular vision. In reality, what it all represents is the Lamb's perfection. It all represents the Lamb's perfection. Because the number seven, and we've talked about this not only in the book of Revelation, but, but in other places where we see the number seven used. It's symbolic, obviously, but the number seven itself symbolizes perfection. And many times it is the perfection of God that it symbolizes. The seven horns here indicate, the horns indicate Perfect power, perfect authority, perfect government. And one who governs over that government. Perfect power, authority, and government. That's usually what horns represent. The seven eyes specify perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, perfect knowledge. While the seven spirits that are mentioned in that verse... Are sent out into all the earth to symbolize Christ's perfect presence. Time and again we say, you know, the presence of God, I mean, it's, 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 you can't escape it. You know, even the psalmist, if you read Psalm 139 at, you know, at the beginning of that, well, within the, the, the text of, of Psalm 139 uh, is the statement, where can I go from your spirit? You know, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. You know what I mean? In, the, in, that, in that particular sense, you can't really escape the presence of God. We could also consider these qualities or attributes as three, three terms that I, I, I use often. It's, you know, the perfect power of Christ is omnipotence. Omnipotence. All-powerful, in other words. God is all-powerful, this is describing the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus, Jesus is all-powerful. And then there is that perfect wisdom and understanding and knowledge, that's called omniscience. Omniscience. You notice the word after the omni, it's, it looks like science, doesn't it? Well, the word science comes from the, from, from the word for Knowledge. But it's more than that with with Christ. It is perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, and perfect understanding. And then there is perfect presence, which is his omnipresence. There isn't a place where he is not. I mean, he will withdraw himself in the sense of making his knowledge or presence known, but he's there. In other words, there are times when we are gathered as we are tonight and we've been worshiping the Lord and lifting up our voices unto the Lord. And and we sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. We sense the presence of God because when we worship Him, you know, the scriptures tell us that God delights in the praises of His people. He delights when we lift up our voices to Him. So in that, we realize that the just, the, you know, once we close everything else off, we, we just focus on that and we realize what a joy it is that God's presence is made known to us. But then we think when we find ourselves in times of struggle or trial, and we oftentimes ask, Lord, where are you? He says, I'm here. I don't feel you. Have you trusted me? If you trust me, put your faith in me. It's as if you're worshiping me. It's as if you're praising me. I delight in your faith and your trust. But it's when you let the things in life or the struggles in life get bigger than Christ, then you don't feel, you don't have the good feelings, you know. (laughs) And what did we say on Sunday? It's not about feelings. It's about faith. It's about trust. Jesus the Lamb bore the marks of His death on His resurrected body. The marks that allowed Him to prevail and overcome sin and death. We know this because of the Gospels. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. There was one who wasn't quite sure. He doubted. We know his name. His name is Thomas. The apostles gathered together. And Thomas would kind of wander in with his doubt. And then Jesus appears. Don't be afraid. It's me. And he goes directly to Thomas. He says, Thomas, look at my hands. And my side. And Thomas said, My Lord. And my God proclaiming who Jesus was by what he saw. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are they who do who who have not seen, but yet they believe. That's us. Because we haven't seen him. But we believe. Those marks are very important for us to keep in our hearts, uh, you know, in the eyes of our heart as we consider what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because of these things, He alone is worthy to take the scroll and loose the seals. That's why He can take the scroll. He is in the midst of all in heaven. At the very center of all activity that must now continue. So, We continue. We look at verse 8. It says, Now when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, when, when the Lamb with the death wounds, the marks, the scars, when He stood up and He took the scroll from Him on the throne that held the scroll in His right hand, the weeping ended. And the praise and rejoicing began. When He took the scroll, the weeping ended. What did we say the scroll was? It was the title deed of the earth. It was taking hold of all that is going to now transpire. From what has taken place in the beginning... To the planned end by the Lord Himself. Seven seals. Each seal to be opened by themselves, one at a time, in order. But because there was someone who would take the scroll, the weeping ended. John wept. But now the weeping is over. And now the rejoicing begins. This is typical of the life of the believer in Jesus Christ who comes through trial after trial, sin after sin, weight after weight. And when Jesus lifts that up from each and every one of us, we have wept because of our, our, our guilt. We've wept because of our shame. But then when He lifts us up, what do we do? We rejoice because the One who saved us and who is going to keep us is reminding us that He won the victory for us on the cross of Calvary. And He rose again from the dead. (laughs) The praise begins. And this brought to mind the passage in Daniel chapter 7. When the... uh, When the prophet Daniel saw the son of man approaching the ancient of days. Let's look at that for just a moment in Daniel chapter seven. Now you got to use your Bibles because you can't see those little letters. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions. (coughs) Excuse me. I forgot my mute button again. Destroy. That's, that's speaking of the Son of Man as if it would be speaking of the Lamb of God in the scene in Revelation. It's a, very typically the same scene. And then we get to the harps and the incense, because these are symbols. The harps, the symbols of the, the symbol of praise, the the golden bowl of incense, is is a symbol of of prayer. Prayer's being lifted up. When you light incense, the 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 smoke from the incense rises, never goes down. <laughs> well, it does eventually, you know, because it spreads and covers. And then there's gravity, but other than that. Incense goes up. And so the, 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 the symbol is that of prayers lifted up to God. But prayer and praise are united. And by the way, that's the way it should be in our lives. Prayer and praise need to be united. You know, if, if we go to a prayer meeting, we should praise the Lord. If we go to a praise gathering, we should pray. And by the way, that's what we do. You can't, because you can't separate those things. You can't separate prayer and praise. Because Jesus, by the way, has already won the victory, hasn't He? We don't have to wait, you know, and go through some kind of, uh, as if he, He has to die again. He does it. The Bible says He died once for all. So praise Him. And because He's alive, pray to Him. Because He's our intercessor. It's it's the same thing we got to do. Psalm 141 verse 2 says this. It says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I think that's a perfect picture of prayer and praise. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Oh God... Let my prayer reach you and my hands lifted up to you as the evening sacrifice. Because when we lift our hands to the Lord, and by the way, it's okay to do that in church. That's okay to do it in church. Lift your hands up to the Lord. Why? Because that's our even, tonight is our evening sacrifice. Guess who the sacrifice is? You. You're the living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12. We are to be living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service of worship. So within the understanding of worship is our sacrifice, giving of ourselves to the Lord. Praying to the Lord. Lifting up our our voices to Him. Oh God, how wonderful it is to be in Your house with Your people. To worship you. Lord hear our prayers. We know you do. And receive our praise. We know you do. Simple. Yet profound. For each life. How wonderful that God hears each and every one of us. It doesn't have to be within the walls of this church. It could be anywhere. As a matter of fact. When I say you can lift your hands here can lift your hands at home, too. And not just to get something off the top shelf, you know. <laughs> now, the song that was sung in heaven was indeed a worship hymn ascribing worth to the Lamb who alone is worthy. It is a worship hymn. Look at verse 9. A- and they sang a new song. Oh, by the way, singing a new um, song—it's a wonderful thing to sing new songs unto the Lord. But remember this: remember that everything we do for the Lord is new. If we if we sing hymns here from time to time, we say, "Man, that's an old song. That's an old hymn. That uh, that's that's really old. You know, it's as old as the pastor." That's old. But no, it's not. It's new. Because every time you sing it, it's a new song to the Lord. Every old chorus from the 70s and 80s and 90s, which I like to do all the time because I think they say a whole lot. They say, those are old songs. No, they're new. And I bet you there a lot of them are new to you. <laughs> but that's the neat thing. We learn new songs that are new. And old songs that are new. See, you never go wrong. There's always a new song unto the Lord because the newness comes from the new heart. Is anybody here old in Christ? No? Praise the Lord. You didn't raise your hands. Good. I was the only one. But but I'm even new in Christ. See the thing about it is, doesn't it say that that we all become new? Second Corinthians chapter five, seventeen. You are a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're new. Even if you creak in the morning, you're still new. Don't worry about it. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. You want to talk about an old song? I mean, this is 2,000 years old, but it's new. Why? Because of the content. The content is, and it is always a new thing before the Lord. You, God, you, Christ, you are worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll. Jesus, you are worthy. And to open its seals, you are worthy. For you were slain. You see the importance of Jesus dying? You were slain and have redeemed us to God. If He does not die, we are not redeemed. And have redeemed us to God by Your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And one thing that we do not want to do in our worship, one thing we do not want to do in our worship services is ignore the glory of the Lord by focusing too much attention on ourselves. Our hymns, our songs, our choruses need to be Christ-centered and not I-centered. Now, there are times when we do sing songs that, you know, we're, we're in because we're expressing our hearts to the Lord. There are psalms in the Bible where David expresses his heart to the Lord. That's okay. But if all we ever do is focus on ourselves with all the songs that we do... We start sounding like George Harrison from the Beatles when he wrote a song called I, Me, Mine. I, Me, Mine. Boy, you talk about being self-centered. Well, I guess you guys don't know who the Beatles are. I'm sorry. jeez, bunch of young people here. But that's the thing. You know, we, we, can, be, we can sometimes get too focused on ourselves. Folks, we need to focus our attention on the throne of God. Every time we worship the throne of God and knowing who sits on that throne. Nothing compares, folks, nothing compares with the adoration of Christ Jesus in spiritual worship. And by the way, when we worship with all of our hearts, that's spiritual worship. It is spiritual. What we've done here tonight is a spiritual thing. And, and the song is not only a worship hymn. The, the song that we're reading about here in verse 9. It isn't only a worship hymn. It is a worship hymn, but it's, it's more than that. You know, it's an evangelistic song, too. It's a gospel song. A song that contains the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And what is it that Christ called us to do? Go into every nation. Go and make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a, a, an evangelistic gospel song as well. It's encouraging us to keep going until Christ comes. To take the message of the gospel to everyone who hasn't heard it and needs to hear it. It is incredible to me that, you know, that some so-called, you know, and I, and I, I leave this up for that, that phrase, for you were slain. I've been kind of emphasizing that tonight. But it's incredible to me that some so-called Christian denominations, whole denominations have agreed to do this. They have agreed to uh, revive their own official hymnals by, listen to this, removing... All songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? They're removing all songs about the blood of Jesus Christ from their hymnals because, well, you know, bloody, you know. It gives kind of the wrong picture of things. Oh, we can talk about His resurrection. Well, folks, you can't talk about His resurrection without talking about His blood. You can't talk about good things without talking about what happened, you know, uh, to Jesus on our behalf. You remove the songs about the blood of Jesus from a hymnal, you got a booklet. You can't do that. But some have chosen to do that. Some people choose their churches because if they talk about the cross too much, you talk about the blood of Jesus. I mean, that's oh, it's gruesome. Yeah, it's gruesome. It has to be gruesome. What had to be done because of what we did. And disobeying God, having been born in sin. That is to remind us of the tremendous price that needed to be paid for our salvation and for our redemption. And yet, the song is sung in heaven. (laughs) It means that the hymn book of these denominations can never be used in heaven, because in heaven, we'll be glorifying the lamb slain for the sins of the world and whose blood has redeemed us you take the blood out of a hymn book i'm sorry we can't use your we can't use your hymn book in heaven you don't have any mention of blood can you imagine anybody in israel or at least uh, in the ch- with the children of israel coming out of egypt when they when they had to go through all of the uh, uh, ceremonies of the, of the, the bloodletting, you know, of, of the, of the, the lambs and the goats and the, all of the animals that were to be sacrificed and they were, they were told, you know, this was, you know, the kind of sacrifice, there's the, the meat offering and the grain offering and all kinds, but there's, there's that need, you know, to, to, to bring forth the blood and all of that. And they had to do that and then of course when you got to the temple and then there was the Yom Kippur, you know, the Day of Atonement and all that had to go into that, that thing about blood. Can you imagine living there and, and thinking, now, what kind of religion are we in? I'm going to go to that church down the street where they don't, you know, they don't talk about blood or show blood. You know? I mean, these people were born into this. Folks, that's why they're still around. That's why they're still in Israel. They may not like it, but they, that's their connection. One day, what are they going to see? book of Zechariah and the book of, uh, of Revelation both tell us that what they will see one day. They will see him whom they pierced. They will see the scars. That's the importance of being slain. If Jesus Christ is not slain, there is no redemption for us. And there's no redemption for Israel. He died for them. They will see him. So understand then, that He gave His life for all. He gave His life for the individual. He gave His life for every family. He gave His life for the nation of Israel. And He gave His life for the whole world. Let's consider Galatians chapter 2.20. This is the the life that was given for an individual. Paul puts it in this particular term, uh, or in these particular terms, when he says, I have been crucified. I, notice, and this is a good use of the word I. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died for the individual. There are even churches today, I know I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking about you know, some of the things that they're doing to kind of be PC, you know, politically correct and they you know they they have this thing about you know the, all you christians out there you fundamentalist uh, right wing whatever they, they i mean they, they they throw the labels at us as much as the you know the, the politically uh, liberal people do but, but, but what they say is oh you you all always talk about uh, a personal relationship with jesus christ yes it's personal if it isn't personal then there is no relationship You have to come to Jesus. Jesus said, come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Who comes to Jesus? Each and every one of us individually. It is then that we become the family of God and the family of Christ. We, We come and join a family, but we first have to come. And we come individually. How else do you get saved in those churches? I don't know. Maybe you don't get saved. Maybe you only save green stamps or gold bond stamps or whatever it is. They they save all kinds of stuff. But they don't save themselves. Because if you take the blood out of the Bible or the the cross or out of the hymn books and all the... What do you got left? Guess what it is? You save yourself by being good. Not stepping on anybody's toes. And if they do, we'll find a verse... Maybe slap them on one cheek, you know, and and we'll get away with it. You can't do that kind of stuff with the Word of God. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? Can you say that? If you come to Christ, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can say that. I'm not going into si se puede, but anyway. Exodus 12.3. He gave His life for households and families. In the uh, passage here that deals with the first Passover... In Egypt, it says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Time and again, we see in the book of Acts, that not only does one person get saved in a household, but a household gets saved. But still, individuals get saved first. And each one has to come. And then Jesus gave himself for the nation and the people of Israel. Isaiah 53 verse 8. It says, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That's speaking of Israel. Do not change the, the, uh, uh, the direction of that statement. It is about Israel. He died. For the transgressions of his people, and at the hands as well of his people. John one twenty nine. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and, and, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, guess what? He died for all sins. Died for all. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. He died for all. This song can also be considered a mission song. So it's not just evangelistic, but it, it, it's missionary in, in approach. Be, it's, it's also a devotional hymn. It's something can, can, that can be sung from the very devotion of the heart. And it is even a prophetic song. If you look at verse 10 of Revelation 5, it says, that it, "...and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth." It says that we shall reign. So it's prophetic. When when the Lord Jesus returns to the earth at His second coming, He will establish His righteous kingdom for a thousand years. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation. And we shall reign with Him. So it's prophetic. Revelation 20, verse 6. Down the road a bit, but nonetheless it says, Blessed and holy is He who has parted in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. That's speaking of everyone of us in this room tonight that has come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're going to be a part of that first resurrection. And that's exciting, folks. You're sitting there like... What? Really? See, si, hombre, come on. Wake up. Jesus is coming and He's going to come get you. And He promised it. We'll talk about that later. What a marvelous hymn. What a marvelous hymn this is going to be when sung in heaven. It is going to be sung, isn't it? See, because John has seen this ahead of time. It is going to be sung. And yet our own worship, listen, our own worship will be richly enhanced enhanced when we blend all of these truths. When? Now! As we honor Him in our times of praise and worship. Now, guess what we'll do the next time we gather in this room? We're gonna praise Him. We're gonna worship Him. We're gonna sing songs to Him. Well, I hope you do. I really do. You know, because we're not here to entertain you. We're here, we're here just to kind of get you started. It's a little kickstart. Let's go. So we play a little music so we can get you going. See, but, but, but really, we all worship. We are to sing. We are to lift up our voices, you see. Let's go on to uh, verses 11 through 14 so we can come to the, to the close of this particular chapter. Because it all wraps, this is just wrapping everything up in chapters 4 and 5. It says, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. Now I want you to take note of something. He hears the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Because there's no word for millions and billions and trillions in the Greek language. There's got to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. If you really want to be a millionaire, you've got to go through that whole thing. You know, Thousands and thousands upon tens of thousands. You know, how, how much do you have? I have thousands upon thousands upon thousands. You know, we just say a million you know, or a trillion or a billion, whatever. But, the, but he sees all of these people and, and, and he says they're saying. Notice they're saying. They're not singing now. They're saying. So it's, a, it's spoken. And the focus is upon the angels. And they say with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings." Seven offerings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, notice, everyone, all of the universe, everything on the earth, above the earth and under the earth, all are saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the, 12, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. I, I think I showed this picture before. Where What's at the bottom is just a bunch of people. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Singing, by the way, as I said, was not heard or I should say singing was not all that was heard in this worship service in heaven. John heard, as it says, the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. Now the picture is the voice of many angels that surrounded the throne, the living creatures and the elders. Okay, so you you get the picture then. It's the angels that are Speaking. Because they're surrounding the throne, the creatures, and the elders. It was, as I said, the number too large to account for, especially, as I said, in the Greek language. And what they said ascribed worth. This is what they did. They ascribed worth, strength, blessing, and honor to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And note that, again, that they were saying and not singing. Now, if you do a a careful study of this, it appears that man, from Genesis to Revelation, has been given the blessing, the privilege, the gift, and the talent of singing praises to our Creator and Lord. Man. Man has been given the blessing, the privilege, the gift, the talent of singing praises to our Creator and Lord. While the angels can only speak or say what God has done. You see, we we have this picture that the choirs of angels are singing. Well, I mean, it sounds nice and I would hope that the angels could sing. But I don't see that they sing. They say, "Go, go back, you know, to that, that passage where, where uh you know the angels come to tell the shepherds, you know that uh, uh, that uh, Messiah was born." And uh, you know what it says? It says that they said, they didn't sing. They said. So I, I just find that interesting. I, I would figure they could probably sing too. But but the, here's, here's something to, to think about. In essence, man sings directly to the Lord, doesn't he? When we lift up our voices in praise, we're singing directly to the Lord. I mean directly, straight to Him. Angels speak indirectly about the works of God. They speak indirectly about the works of God. There are scriptures that refer to the fact that angels wonder about God's redemption of man. Because they've seen man's condition and, 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 and even man's character before God. They wonder at, they wonder at, the, at the grace and the mercy that, that God shows to His creation. But one thing I have to say is when they speak, they speak loud. Angels are loud in heaven because it tells us that. They said loudly with a loud voice. So I, I can tell you they can shout pretty good. They might even be shouting at us. We may not hear it audibly. But God uses them on our behalf sometimes. Sometimes. Remember that we're told that's just, you know, when you're taking care of somebody that comes, you know, be hospitable because you may be taking care of an angel unaware. So, one reason for this, as we're dealing with men singing and angels speaking, one reason for this is that man has been able to experience on a personal level the redemption, the regeneration, and being washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we've we experienced it personally and experientially. Angels, on the other hand, have not experienced redemption from sin. You think of the, the third of the angels that fell with Lucifer uh, and you realize there was no hope of redemption or you know, getting back their, you know, their angelic, uh, uh, at least their godly angelic uh, character. Once they left, they left. They lost it. Angels were created for a purpose in God's plan. And so when they fell, that was it. We were created in the image of God, but because of man's fall, And because of our flesh and God knew this gave us the opportunity to be redeemed. And therefore the reason why Jesus came, Genesis 3.15 when the Lord tells the serpent about the seed of the woman that's Jesus. So we sing Praises to God because we have experienced firsthand the blessing of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the blood applied to our lives to uh, redeem us, to forgive us. So think about that next time we worship the Lord together. You know, there are two words that need our attention. The words are worthy and worship. They're both found in our text. Worthy and worship. These words are closely related. The word that binds these two expressions, of course, is the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo, which literally means to kiss toward in reverence. To kiss toward means, that's where we get the word uh, proskuneo means to kiss toward, which is uh, what it means to worship or to offer worth unto God. Uh, So, uh, it is a quite intimate word. It is a loving term that goes beyond just reverence. It speaks of direct affection to someone you love. Worship is about expressing our love for the Lord. So, if we see that it is men that sing, it is because we sing with this affection toward the Lord. The angels are servants of God. And we are as well, but what we came from, where we came from, and where we 're going, is totally different. So our expression then of worship and praise has to be different. So remember that uh, getting back to worth and, and worship let 's look at Revelation five verse eleven and twelve it says, "And I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. A number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want to take each one of these things that are ascribed unto the Lord, things that are given as worth unto God, and we're going to do this very quickly here because of time. But first of all, we're going to begin with power. Because power, in heaven all men and angels yield to His authority. When it says uh what it says about uh, uh worthy as a lamb to receive power it's not as if you know he's like those power rangers that need to get keep getting stuff or or the mario game you know or they need to keep getting all pills and kind of stuff you, you, that's the wrong concept to receive power is that of in heaven all men and angels yield to his authority we are Laying down ourselves, whatever power we think we may have, and ascribing it all to God. He's got the power and to Christ. He's got the power. He's got the authority. He, We yield to that, you see. We yield to that. So in heaven, all men and angels yield to His authority. So my question to you today is, are we willing to do so today? Are we willing to yield to God's authority and power? To Christ's authority and power? Why? Should we? Because He is worthy. He is worthy of power. In Hebrews 1 uh, verse 3 it says, Who being the brightness of His glory, speaking of Jesus, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. Did you notice that? When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So He has upheld all things by the word of His power. He's the one that has the power, not us. But we ascribe all power to Him. So He receives power from us. But it's not as if He has to have our power because He doesn't need it. He's all powerful. And then there's riches. And in heaven all men and angels will lay their resources at His feet. Everything belongs to the Lord. We know that. Everything belongs to Him. There's nothing that belongs to us. He has lent it to us. He has given it to us. As, as stewards we are to be good stewards of all that God has given to us. Whether it be finances or houses or homes or, you know, whatever. Children, we're to be good stewards with our children and all. But the riches in heaven, all men and angels will lay their resources at His feet. Now, the question is, are we willing to do so now? Are we willing to lay our resources down at His feet? And why should we? Because He's worthy. He alone is worthy. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He is rich... Or he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. So in heaven he was rich, but he chose to come and take on flesh and and start with nothing, essentially. And so he, he though he was rich yet for our sakes for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. So you see, we become rich because he gives us salvation, and what do we what do we do? We ascribe the riches to him. Because without him we're nothing. Wisdom. Wisdom In heaven, all wisdom is attributed to Him. All wisdom. So my question to you tonight is, have we uh, we yielded our minds to Him now? Our minds where we receive His wisdom. Our hearts where we activate that wisdom. Have we yielded our minds and our hearts to Him now? And why should we? Because He is worthy. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. It says, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is wisdom from God, you see. So when we ascribe wisdom to Him, it is because He is all wisdom already. And then there's strength. We ascribe strength to Him. In heaven all men and angels acknowledge Him as the source of their strength. The question is, do we? Do we acknowledge Him as the source of our strength? Have we laid our physical resources at His feet? If we have any strength whatsoever, did it not come from Him? Therefore, we ascribe that wisdom, uh, and I, I should say strength to Him. And there's one reason why we should. Because He is worthy. Psalm 24, verse 8 tells us this. Who is this King of glory? Here's the question. The psalmist answers it. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He's strong. We're not. But His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And then there's honor. Honor is given. In heaven, all men and angels honor Him. Have we? And why should we? Because He is worthy. Worthy. He's worthy of our honor. Psalm 104, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. None of us are clothed with, clothed with honor and majesty. He alone is. So we ascribe all honor to Him. The question is, are we doing it? We need to because He is worthy. How about Glory. In heaven, all men and angels think more highly of Him than they do of themselves or each other. That's the way heaven is. But guess what? That's the way it needs to be here now that we are believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, I covered up my mic. That's the way we have to be as believers in Jesus Christ here on this earth. We need to think more highly of Him than we do of ourselves and others. So the question is, do we ascribe all glory to the Lamb as we will do in heaven? Do we do it now? Well, we should. Why? Because He's worthy. And He's glorious. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And folks, He was in flesh when they beheld His glory. And yet he was glorious. How about that? And then there's blessing. What does it mean to bless somebody? Very simply, the, the, the biblical understanding of blessing is to make someone happy. It's simple, maybe even simplistic, but it's profound. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed. In spite of all the things that this world can throw at us, God has made us blessed, happy, to the point that we rejoice. Because we know that the end result is different than what we began with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Empty, that without anything, because once we come to Christ, we are filled. Blessed are the poor spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We, we, we're not only filled, the, the kingdom is ours. Do you see the picture here? So blessing is ascribed to the Lord. In heaven, and uh, men and angels do this. They give blessing to God. The question is, do we? And why should we? Because He's worthy. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Don't forget all that God has done for you. Bless Him. When we say that we want to please the Lord, don't you think that that's like saying, I want to make the Lord happy. <laughs> well, that's blessing Him. He's blessed. He's blessed. When we praise Him. He's blessed when we serve Him. He's blessed when we give more than receive. He's blessed. So to such worship, the four living creatures at the end of all of this, they say, Amen. Is the Lamb the object of our adoration tonight? Do our hearts respond with a ready, Amen? Amen. I hope so. Let's just close by reading the last two verses of this chapter of Revelation 5. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Folks, they were already worshipping him and they fell down and did what? They worshipped him. We worship Him here, and we get, you know, we we get excited about what God is doing and what God is teaching us. And when we leave, guess what we can do? Worship Him. We can worship Him more. We go out the door and let's worship Him. Let's give honor and glory to Him. You see, the worship service in heaven climaxes with the entire universe praising the Lamb of God and the Father seated on the throne. This is where praise will be centered, but more importantly, it'll be centered upon the Redeemer and the Savior, Jesus Christ. He will be the theme of heaven's worship as He should be in ours today. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship, and all of our adoration. Jesus Christ is worthy of all those things and much more. He's worthy of our lives, of our hearts, of our words, of our actions of our feelings and our emotions. He's worthy of them all. Will we worship Him from here on with a joyous heart? In spite of whatever we deal with, will we worship Him? The living creature said, Amen. (laughs) I'm not calling you all creatures, but I'm just saying, uh, I'm glad you said Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.